drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Could there be anything more romanticised than the bohemian sharehouses of your youth? With a cast of random characters, perhaps painters, activists, addicts, the odd petty criminal, all floating around on the philanthropy of couches and begged cigarettes. I had a flatmate once who only slept on a hard wooden theatrical rostrum and played Rachmaninoff from memory on a piano raised up on old phone books. Interestingly, he also captured ants by leaving honey on teaspoons around the house. He put the ants in the freezer to slow them down a bit and took them to his private tutoring classes to illustrate the principles of physics to high school kids. Where I Slept by Libby Angel is autofiction, blending autobiography and fiction, although something tells me her former life as a trapeze artist kind of indicates what's likely autobiographical in this book. Libby, welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It has been a while since your first novel, The Trapeze Act. That also had elements of your own life in it. You do strike me as a private person. Why autofiction? How, how do you decide what to fictionalise and what to keep straight? Okay, so I guess it's an exercise on a formal level as much as anything. And it's kind of, I guess with autofiction, if you think about it as a genre and a tradition, um, for me at least it's about prioritising the language, the story, the narrative over the veracity of um, your personal history. I know. I mean, I, I think it's in itself a pretty broad field and it's often about confessional kind of writers, although that itself is a contested term because it indicates a crime's taken place, but it has a certain uh, feminist um, perspective. And I kind of, I kept thinking about um, Jean Genet who wrote, I mean, I guess that is also a kind of autofiction, his story as as a uh, criminal prisoner and um, outcast and he says something like in the Thief's Journal, something like um, life is a pretext. I I mean, I, I can't tell you definitively, oh, there's 67% truth in this book or whatever. A lot of it is um, shaped to inf- characterise the, the narrative. So that, that takes precedence over the history. It's not like, I, oh, these things happened to me, I'm going to write a story about it. it. It's really, for me, a formal exercise. 
where I slept has constant complications, you know, mainly finding the next shelter, but no overarching complication seems to find resolution. I suppose that's kind of what life is like, isn't it? Yeah, that was because I, I really wanted the form to reflect the story and it was written... Well, actually, I did a lot of research um, and part of that was reading um, Eve Langley's The Pickers and also Kylie Tennant's The Battlers. So these are both Depression-era narratives about itinerant um, women, which I found really kind of riveting and interesting. But they, they're both Sisyphean in, in, in that they're circular they're unresolved, um, which very much reflects that kind of day-to-day um, needs and concerns of somebody who is itinerant. It feels like there's an endless stream of people, you know, many without context or explanation in this book. They come and go. Our protagonist is constantly being moved on. She finds a new place to stay and, you know, some, something a housemate does something to irritate her or she needs to leave because it's unsafe. Was that your experience? Um, partly, yeah. I mean, I did spend periods of time um, living like that. And I really, um, part of my concern was actually with this book, after also reading um, Lillian's story by Kate Grenville, was to actually um, try and deconstruct the romanticism of that kind of lifestyle. Um, So I have a, I mean, I've just been reading Just Kids by um, Patti Smith. And I think she, you know, she is like the ultimate romantic and she she's just it's so beautiful this book but I think um for me that that sort of association with um the romantics and love alone and all that kind of thing it was not a healthy kind of thing for me (laughs) I mean I also noticed with Patty Smith you know she's she's really clear she doesn't she doesn't judge anyone who does drugs or drink or whatever but she doesn't do those things herself and I think that is an incredible factor in her success and sort of longevity. It strikes me that, you know, if you're romanticising this kind of lifestyle, you know, flop houses and late night parties and a cast of random characters, you're probably doing it in later life because it actually is a gruelling way to live. It's just that you're young and you don't know any better. Would you agree? Yeah, well, certainly you have a lot more energy and I guess, you know, at that time I did, you know, I still did think it was quite romantic and it was in, in part, which, you know, the book kind of explores, um, there were, you know, people within that kind of scene who were very much from bourgeois background sort of rejecting their um, family for one reason or another. But it gets pretty real pretty <laughs> quickly when you, you know, you have no money or stable accommodation and, you know, it, it is stripped of its um, romance pretty quickly. It is like that pulp song by Jarvis Cocker, you know, common people, you know, she studied sculpture at St Martin's College. She told me that her dad was loaded, that kind of vibe. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a bit of that too, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, and this sort of, especially in Australia, if you think about the um, association of 
freedom with itinerancy and, you know, starting right from colonial um, swag man, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's not actually a lot of freedom to be had when you're just trying to survive in that way. And I think a lot of people have a lot of um, trauma to, you know, and also when I was young, you know, I had these sort of political ideas but they were not very sophisticated or it was really just expressed through anger and and, um, rebelliousness, anti-authoritarianism, you know. It wasn't a very sophisticated political approach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Author Libby Angel is with me on RN Drive. We're talking about her new book, Where I Slept. You were a trapeze artist for a long time, travelling to London and performing with a circus there. Do you fondly look back on those times, like in in the style that we're talking about here? I still have dreams that I'm flying a lot, but other than that, I I kind of I don't really miss it in the sense that I it was always my dream to hang my trapeze on a crane and do this like aerial act hanging off a crane, and I actually did that in the. I think it was in the Adelaide Festival. Then my mother died and for some reason I always knew that I was just going to write. I mean, I always have written, but I knew that I was going to try and publish stuff. And I turned from being this sort of outward person to a more introspective, private kind of person. Like my will to perform kind of left me. And that's linked to your mother's death. I mean, yeah, obviously it really, it's a transformative it really experience, is. but it, it, it sort of made you more inwardly looking, do you say? I think so, yeah. Or just like I just didn't want to be looked at anymore. I didn't want to perform. I don't know. It's difficult to explain. Returning to this book, despite the 300-odd pages, it does feel difficult to grasp our protagonist. You know, she's rarely alone. The reader isn't privy to many of her feelings. She doesn't have a name. When we learn less about the protagonist, what does it leave more space to include? Well, I, you know, what's interesting is that I went back and looked at my journals from that time. So I've kept a journal since I was about 12 and I was kind of looking for self-revelation or something like that. But I noticed what was most interesting about my journals was not about me at all. At all. Um, it was about other people and places and, um, you know, just what was happening and culture and um, that was far more interesting. The autofiction is kind of more self-centred. Because when you look back at old photos, you know, of your 20s, it's the people that grasp you the most and really get get your attention rather than all the silly photos of landmarks that you kind of take as a tourist. But you're saying it's the opposite with writing. It's the, the scene that's more important. Yeah, or just, you know, how things work because things change, of course. And so um, when you're looking at um, yourself, you, I mean, you change too, I guess. But I, do, I just found, you know, I find that kind of writing as therapy not, I mean, it's, I think it's helpful, but it's not very interesting to me or helpful like it's just more yeah other people and and even relationships I think relationships are really important 
but not so much. I guess what I'm saying is it's not my own identity that's fixed or solid in any way or um, it doesn't drive the narrative so much as the what happens. Your character in this book writes words and phrases on surfaces and things throughout the book in places. And she says, this is war, rewired, where I slept, love your sisters are some of these phrases. Why does she feel the need to sort of leave proof of her existence in this transient world? Well, I think that's what writing is in a sense. And I also think it's about wanting to express herself and be an artist but without really having to be legitimised by the gatekeepers or um, structures of culture. And I think the 90s was a really kind of important time for that. I feel like I, again, you know, just harking back to this idea that the political naivety but, but still noticing that corporate staff was taking over all our public spaces and then later, you know, our private spaces too and wanting to sort of write back against that. Yeah, trying to claim claim a voice among this, you know, and feeling beginning to feel sort of crowded out by advanced capitalism. So that's largely what that's about. And I still think, you know, even tagging and stuff like that is still about that. It's about just sort of like I'm I am human, I am here. And this is, you know, the space that I dwell in. You know, the kind of idea, you don't let the bastards win, you've got to write it where they'll fi- one day find it. Th- yeah. there, is a, there is a line in this book, poetry will break your heart, he says, or perhaps it is the only thing that won't, I say. That really does capture the all or nothing optimism of youth, doesn't it? Yeah, it 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 does. But I still kind of... I still kind of believe that in a in a way. Art for me has kind of really um, saved me, I think. Yeah, it's like no matter how much shit's going on, like you, you, there's always good books to read or, you know, good music to listen to. Beautifully said. Libby Angel has been my guest. Her book, Where I Slept, is out now. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.